We're going into the book of Daniel again. Third time in this time. Uh, sermon number three. Daniel chapter one, please. We're going to cover verse, believe it or not, three through twenty. All right. That's stunning, I know. Uh, but uh, we're going to attempt that today. Now, while you're working your way that way, I gave you three options of things you might want to do. Um, these are not requirements for membership or anything like that. We're not, we're not keeping track of whose name did what. But last week, I asked if anyone had read through the entire book of Daniel. Eight people said they had. If during this last week you read through the book of Daniel, or maybe it took you two weeks to do it, whatever the case, if you're not one of the eight from last week, let me see your hand if you read through the book of Daniel. Well, I can't keep them up, so I can count. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Back there, up there. Twelve, thirteen. Nice. Nice. I got thirteen, that's twenty-one. We're aiming for seventy-five, all right? So, 13, so we're up to 21, that's good. Okay, the second option I gave you was to give, for each chapter of the book, one word to entitle each chapter. And that's kind of a fun project. You read through the chapter, you think of one word that kind of encompasses the whole. And uh, we had two people share last week. Anybody have a set they want to share with us today? No. James? James! Okay. Okay, one undefiled, two green, three steadfast, four stars, five arrogance, six belief, seven revelation, eight dreams, nine prayer, ten strengthen, eleven war, twelve prophecy. Nice. Good, good. Did I see another hand over here? Yes, sure. <laughs> okay. One resolve, two tactful, three courageous, four four sympathetic, five forgetful, six uh, unyielding, seven empires, eight prophecy. Nine, uh, that's a square, ten, esteemed, eleven, and twelve, unprecedented. Nice, nice, good, good. I know somebody else is working on it, and he's only about chapter five, I think. Is that right, Drew? Yeah. You're going to love his list. You're going to love it. It's good. I've heard some of it already. Okay, anybody else? That's a fun project. You want to try it? We have now four people who have done that. That's good. Seventy-five. Okay, we also have the opportunity to memorize five verses from the book of Daniel. Anybody working on memorizing verses? Right. Okay. Okay. Off to a good start. Five verses out of each book. Yes, Bill. Okay. So here we go. Uh, then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. And Daniel said, To you, or let the name of the Lord our God be praised, uh, give praise and thanks, for he gives wisdom and light. This is the part that, that I paraphrased for years, and you'll understand why. Uh, he, uh, he 
changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and he establishes kings. He gives wise wisdom to the wise. To wise men, he gives knowledge to men of understanding. He knows the deep and hidden things. He knows the knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O Lord, our God of the fathers, we give, I give praise and thanks that you have given me wisdom and light. Even now you have shown me the things which we sought from you. You have given us, you have made known to us what we sought of the king's mouth. Nice. <laughs> Wonderful. That's excellent. All right, thank you, Bill. Somebody else? No? Okay. I'm not, I don't want to avoid our balcony people. Everybody, I didn't miss a hand, did I? Okay. Well, I'm going to give you the same assignment for this next week. You have three options. You could do one, you could do two, you could do all three. But I do encourage you to read through the book of Daniel. And that's an exciting thing to do. Read through the entire book. Uh, it won't take you a great deal of time. I was told this morning, the first three or four chapters are really good. And so, <laughs> the rest of it is rather challenging, isn't it? But uh, anyway, read through the book of Daniel. Uh, if you want to, as some of them have already, go through and put a title, a one-word title to every chapter. And if you'd like as well to add memory verses to that, just five, pick five. You can have them in order like Bill just did or do one at a time. That's okay, like Roy did. But uh, I encourage you to invest in the book. We're going to be here for 223 years, (laughs) according to my projections. So you've got plenty of time. But uh, Daniel 1, 3 through 20 today. Daniel 1, 3 through 20. Then the king told Ashpenaz, the chief of the officials, to bring some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and of the nobles, youths in whom there, were, there was no impairment, who were good-looking, suitable for instruction in every kind of expertise, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, and who had the ability to serve in the king's court. And he ordered Ashpenaz to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king also allotted for them a daily ration from the king's choice food and from the wine which he drank and ordered that they be educated for three years at the end of which they were to enter the king's personal service. Now among them, from the sons of Judah, were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Then the commanders of the officers assigned new names to them And to Daniel he assigned the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah Shadrach, to Meshach, to Azariah Abednego. But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank, so he sought permission from the commander of the officers that he might not defile himself. Now God granted Daniel's favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officers or officials. The commander of the officials said to Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king, who has allotted your food and your drink. For why should he see your faces looking gaunt in comparison to the youths who are your own age? Then you will make me forfeit my head to the king. But Daniel said to the overseer, whom the commander of the officials uh, had appointed to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please put your servants to the test for ten days. Let us be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be examined in your presence and the appearance of the youths who are eating the king's choice food and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and put them to the test for ten days. And at the end of ten days, their appearance seemed better. And they were fatter than all the youths who had been eating the king's choice food. So the overseers continued to withhold the choice, their choice food and the wine they were to drink and kept giving them vegetables. 
And as for these four years, God gave them knowledge and intelligence and every kind of literature and expertise. Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. To then, at the end of the days which the king had specified for presenting them, the commander of the officers, or officials again, presented before them Nebuchadnezzar, and the king talked with them, and out of them all, not one was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's personal service. As for every matter of expertise and understanding about which the king consulted them, he found them ten times better than all the soothsayer, priests, and conjurers who were in all his realm. Lord, help us again today. We open up your word. We study from it and guide us, we pray, uh, because we need to know more about you and about the way you work and how you work in our lives, too. So challenge us again with this passage before us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I ask a question as I get started here, and I know what you're going to say as Christians, uh, because it's the answer we all have. But I want you to contemplate something uh, as I ask this question. Is it a risk to trust the Lord? Is it a risk to trust the Lord? We do confess that we have placed our trust in a God we have never seen with our eyes. We trust in a God we've never audibly heard with our ears. We trust in a God we have never felt with our hands. We have not walked with Him in any garden or on any sea. We have not shared a meal with Him or had Him knock on our door. We read in a book that He is real. That He has made us. That the world around us was made by Him too. You weren't there, were you? Don't think so. We read that He is present. We believe that, don't we? We believe He cares. We believe that He supervises the events of our lives. We believe that He provides for our needs. That He sees us. That He knows us. That He loves us. And even loves us so much that He sent His Son to die on our behalf. So as a result of your faith, you read His Word. You seek to conform your life to it. It changes your desires. It changes your words. You behave differently in this world now, don't you? Or am I assuming too much? You choose not the world's habits. You choose not the world's vocabulary. You choose not to follow the world's dreams and goals. But you allow this word, this book in your hand right now, to shape you. To shape you to a point that you obviously are different than those who are around you where you live or where you work or those who just converse with you. You have given up certain things in this life because you believe that with Christ you have all that you need and would rather have Him than the passing pleasures of sin. Did I describe you this morning? Did I describe us this morning? Peter wrote these words in 1 Peter 1.6, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. So that the proof of your faith, which is more precious than gold that perishes, even though it's tested by fire, may it be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And though you do not see Him now, 
but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Peter, James, and John, and the other apostles had such an advantage, didn't they? So we think. They walked with Jesus. Talked with Him. They were there when He raised Lazarus from the dead. Healed the blind man so he could see. Gave the lame the ability to walk. They were there with many, many of these things that we read about in the Gospels. And we think, well, if we were there, we would believe without any hesitation, right? Because that's what we all need, right? We just need that one glimpse. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but have you ever once said, Lord, just give me one glimpse, I won't say a word. Some people have asked that simple thing. They said, how that can help my faith? All I've got is a book to tell me about these things. And John starts to write, the same apostle who walked with him and talked with him. And John in his epistle, 1 John 1.1 said, What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have touched and looked at, touched with our own hands. Concerning the word of life, the life was revealed and we have seen him. And we testify and proclaim to you eternal life, which was with the Father and was revealed to us. Peter would say, yeah, that sounds like a great advantage. But those who haven't seen Christ have a greater advantage. Peter would write in his second epistle, chapter 1, 2 Peter 1, That he was there when Jesus was transfigured. Imagine how that would shape your life forever. To see him suddenly turn into glory in his image and have those with him and all the rest that went on there. And Peter says, I was there. I saw his glory. That didn't keep Peter from denying him. But Peter says, we have something more sure. We today have something more sure than all of those tangible, all of those visual events that they saw themselves. We do have the Word of God. This is not minimizing anything to carry this book. Matter of fact, it gives you an advantage. It gives you an advantage because you, as a believer in God, can carry with you the whole Word of God. What a privilege that is. When Peter and James and even Paul and John and all these others were serving the Lord in their day, all they technically had was the Old Testament. That was their Bible. If you just grab your Old Testament in your hand and say, that's it? That's all they had. And they went forth into ministry in the early church. For nearly 20 years they ministered in the church before they even had one epistle. And out came the book of James. And out came the book of Galatians. And suddenly they had two books. And somewhere close to the end of the 50 ADs or so, you start to see letters to the Thessalonians, one and two. A book to the Romans, a book to the Corinthians, a second book to the Corinthians, Later, there was the Gospel of Matthew, and Mark, and Luke. Imagine a church existing for 30 years without any Gospel to read from. But that was the reality of their day. Even when Peter was writing, the New Testament was not yet complete. It would still be Maybe another 30 years after Peter dies, that books like John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and Revelation would still be written. Is it a risk to trust the Lord? Daniel had a portion of the Old Testament. 
He didn't have the whole Old Testament in his day and age. He had a good chunk of it. But he had what the Lord had given him to read and to learn from. He had Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. I mean, your favorite books for devotions, right? He, he had the histories of Joshua and Judges and Ruth, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings. He had the poetry of Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. He had the prophets, Amos, Hosea, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Jonah, Nahum, Zephaniah, Joel, Obadiah, Micah, Habakkuk. Now you may be saying right there, well that's sufficient, that's quite a bit. Matter of fact, that's most of the Old Testament right there. Yet I'm going to ask you something here. Think this through. Yet of all the men taken from Judah that we read about here and put into the king's educational system, they all had the same thing Daniel had. They had the same portion of Scripture that Daniel had. You know my point now? It's real simple. How many of them lived what they read? Even in our world today, very few people in this country are without God's Word. I could say that they may not have the book in front of them. We're trying to do that, aren't we, Gideons? Get that out to everybody that can. Go to the motels. You'll find it there in the drawer. Most motels. I always look for that. But the apps now that you can carry on your phone. Ed, what's that, 127 translations you got with you? Yeah, he carries that right there on his phone. He just pops it up. Anthony does too. The availability of God's Word today. It's amazing, folks. It's absolutely amazing how many copies, if we could just get it from electronic to paper, how many copies are available to us in this country right now that anybody could download it for free, that they can access it for free. It's not even a matter of funds anymore. But in this world that has so many opportunities like that, how many are actually reading God's Word? How many read it? How many believe it? How many live it in our day and age? How many says, this is truth? How many says, God is real? How many says, I will trust Him regardless of what anyone else says or does. I will trust Him regardless of what anyone can do to me. How many say that now? How many of that believe like that? We've already touched on a few things. The first two attempts at working through the book of Daniel here. We've touched on the fact that Nebuchadnezzar's technique for conquering people is to change them in the way they think and they speak and they live. Actually, for what this word, Nebuchadnezzar was a very wise man. A very wise man because his program worked. I'll show you how well it worked. Seventy years were completed of this captivity time, where he instituted this idea of changing their language and changing their dress and changing their culture. And he did that so well that they didn't, some of them did not want to return to Israel when they got the chance. They preferred their little home in Babylon. Some of them who did return did not speak Hebrew. The vast majority of them did not even speak their own language. They spoke the language of the Babylonians, the Aramaic language. They named their kids Aramaic names. 
which was quite a twist from all the Hebrew names the kids have always known. They didn't know God's Word. They couldn't even read God's Word because it was in Hebrew. They had Babylonian names themselves. In other words, generations walked in the culture that Nebuchadnezzar instituted when he brought these young men into his court. Generations would follow with the same pattern that Nebuchadnezzar instituted. That's pretty effective. That was the wisdom of the man. Change people. He was good at it. Let us remind ourselves of this little text that we've read. I'm going to not read every word and every verse, but jump right down back to verse 3 and 4 and see what the strategy was. In verse number 4, after taking these particular youths, he was going to train them for service. He said he wanted them suitable for instruction in every kind of expertise. He said he wanted those who had the ability to serve in the king's court. He said to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. In verse 5, he gave them a daily ration for their food portions. He ordered them to be educated for three years. They were to enter the king's personal service. This is complete Babylonian indoctrination. Nebuchadnezzar took it even a step further. He changed their names. I don't know about you, but how would you like to go to work and your boss says, you know what, I'm going to change your name. I don't want that one. I'm going to give you a different one. Would that be unusual? That would be very unusual. Here's what we have in verse 6. Now, among them from the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And the official assigned names to him. Daniel was given the name Belteshazzar, Hananiah, Shadrach, Mishael, Meshach, and Azariah, Abednego. And how do we sing the little songs today? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know what's interesting? You're going to notice this. Most of the book, they say, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And they use Daniel, 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 Daniel. Once in a while in parentheses. Oh, the king called him Belteshazzar. (laughs) Pretty effective the way God put it down and said, he didn't really change them at all. But I find it interesting. Daniel means God is my judge. Belteshazzar means Baal protects my life. Bel, Bel protects my life. Or, I worship Bel, the god of the Babylonians. Hananiah meant, Jehovah has been gracious. And then when they changed it to Shadrach, it was the command of Aku, the moon deity. Mishael is, who is what God is? That sounds pretty complicated, doesn't it? Who is what God is? Meshach means, I'm a guest of a king. Azariah means Jehovah has helped. And Abednego means a servant of Nebo, the god. Most of those were changed to pagan worship concepts. Names are very significant in Hebrew culture. Do you know that? They were somewhat, they weren't ever chosen lightly, and they were somewhat. Prophetic, And I don't know how the Lord did this, and it's amazing to me how many times people lived up to their names. But maybe the parents chose that name hoping they would look like that when they grew up. I think that would have been, at least on the human side, what they were attempting to do. Uh, They were hoping their kids would match the character of these wonderful names. So all the names had significant meanings, even in some cultures today, by the way. When a believer... Uh, comes and, and is baptized, some places rename them. They give them Christian names from the names that they formerly had. Sometimes it's out of Muslim or out of African type of cultures that they do that. I believe I've seen that in Jackson and Blessings ministry. Have you ever seen the names of all those children? 
How many people in Africa are naming their kids like Blessing? And all these other interesting names, you see. Uh, and most of them sound so wonderfully biblical. And I just wonder, and I'll ask them someday, if they rename the children when they come onto the campus. It's quite possible that they want them to have a certain name and say, now live up to it. It's a great name. We'd like you to have that. Peter had his name changed by the Lord. Paul had his name changed too. Have you ever wondered what God calls you? You think he's got a name for you? Oh, I know. You're probably thinking it's a negative one now, isn't you? Uh-huh. No. Uh, if you knew what it was, would you want to live up to it? Interesting. Nebuchadnezzar, though, as we see in this passage, had the full intention of changing the very being of the man when he took him into captivity so that he would serve him with a whole heart. He wanted to change everything about him. If Daniel was asked this question, what was the risk to trust the Lord? He could have answered that pretty quickly. He had the first test on Babylonian soil here in chapter number 1. Daniel, verse 8, says, it says, He made up his mind he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or the wine which he drank. He sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. How do you explain that to an official? Here you are, a servant. You're, you're nothing, you're even less than a servant. You're not even in service yet. You're a captive. And you walk up to the man in charge of you and say, Sir, I can't eat that. It will defile me. Oh. What's most, uh, maybe most guards would do with that? Daniel asked that. It says in verse number 9 that God granted Daniel favor and compassion with the commanders of the officers. I think that's beautiful. And then the commander came back and he was almost begging and he says, well, Daniel, okay, I, I, I could do this, but, you know, this scares me to death. I'm taking a huge risk by doing this. If I let this happen and it doesn't work, he's cutting my head off. Would Nebuchadnezzar do such a thing? So he says, this is risky for you. This is risky for me. Daniel answers in verse number 11. And he's speaking on behalf of Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah as well. He says, okay, let's go for a test. Ten-day test. Ten days, just give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be examined in your presence and in the presence and in the appearance of the youth who are eating at the king's choice food and deal with your servants according to what you see. Did you notice that deal? Look at it again. This is the deal. If you don't like what you see, he's talking to the commander. If you don't like what you see, then do to us what you've been told to do. Force us to eat that food. Make us drink that wine. Go ahead, change our names. Go ahead, make us wear these clothes. Make us speak that language. Make us be fully Babylonian if you do not like what you see. Wow! What if that guy was in a bad mood that day? That's putting a lot into the test. That's a pretty risky step to take. He listened to Daniel in this matter. Verse 14 says, And put them to the test for ten days. Now, they were in training for three years. Ten days is not much in the whole curriculum of what's before them. Not many days to prove a point. Now, I would grant you, ten days with pasta and pizza might put on a few pounds. But ten days with vegetables? Water? That's what most people go with if they're trying to lose weight, not gain it. At the end of ten days. You see this. Verse 15 says their appearance seemed better. And they were fatter 
than all the youths who had been eating the king's choice food. Who were these other youths? All of those others taken in captivity with Daniel. He's sitting at the, at the tables. I picture a, a long table with benches on either side. I just picture that. I guess I've been in camp too many years in my life. But they're all sitting there. And he's working on his carrots and broccoli. And they're over there with their meat. They're drinking their wine and he's sipping the water. And at the end of ten days, he looked fatter than they did. His appearance seemed better than theirs. So the overseer continued to withhold the choice food, it says, in verse 16, and the wine. He was giving them vegetables. That's not the end of the test. That was enough for the official to say, okay, that worked. That worked. Do you think he ever revisited that? Like in a couple of months, he says, okay, Daniel, come up here, stand next to this guy. Do you think he looked at that again after six months, maybe after a year? He had three years to work with him. Do you think he kept looking to say, you know, uh, Daniel, that worked at the start, but it's not working now. It doesn't say anything like that. It just says that he continued to withhold their choice food and the wine that they were to drink and kept giving them vegetables. They kept passing the test over and over. But that's not the end of it. But I asked this. I wonder how many times the overseer has seen people come in for their three-year indoctrination program. There were other countries. Babylon conquered other people. They brought in the choice men of all these others as well. And I wonder how many times he actually saw a man stand on his face. And all those that came through his program. Babylon captured many more places than Judah. Overseers would have seen so many others go through that Babylonian Institute of Cultural Change. They would have seen so many people compromise their faith, their heritage, their family, perhaps all that just to save their skin because they knew the kind of man Nebuchadnezzar was. It doesn't even appear that the rest of the Judah captives took the same position in their faith as Daniel did. Only four are recorded as being uncompromisingly. Only four operated that way. And these four the Lord rewarded. It says in Hebrews 11, I love this verse, Hebrews 11, 6, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Think of that phrase. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those, and I love the way the King James says, who diligently seek him. Diligently seek him. That wasn't a statement just for Old Testament saints. Though you read through the book of Hebrews, they're mostly Old Testament saints being referenced, who walked by that kind of faith. They were unusual people, weren't they? The Abrahams and the Moses and the Joshuas and and on and on the list goes of these who walked by faith because they believed in God. How much did they read about him? How much did they see him? How much did they know about him? I just know they believed in him so convincingly. They believed that he existed. And they diligently sought him. He who comes to God. He who draws near to God. He who approaches God. I want to ask you something. I'm going to get personal. Only answer in your heart. In the last week, how many times have you drawn near to God? That you even approached His presence in your time alone with Him. He who comes to God believes that He is. That He is. You know, that's a requirement. (laughs) Do you have faith in somebody you're not sure even exists? That'd be a strange faith. This is a faith that says, 
I know he is. I didn't need an angel come and knock on my door to tell me that. I didn't need to see a miracle. I didn't have to go through anything like that experientially to convince me it's God's word that says he exists. And I believe it. You know the bumper sticker. You've seen it before. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. But it is required for anyone to ever, ever please Him. They must have faith. There's no other way. It's impossible to please Him without it. And these examples we have in Hebrews chapter 11, the majority of them didn't even have a Bible in their hand. But He is the rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Carefully Seek Him out. Determinedly, desired, disciplined to seek Him out. Now let's put us on that scale. How close are we? What's your desire? What's your devotion? What's your determination? Even to do your devotions once a day. To read your Bible. To live out your Christian life in the home, in the workplace, in the school, in the society where you live. Is it a risk for you to be a follower of God in your workplace? Is it a risk for you to claim to be a follower of Christ in your school? In your neighborhood? Do you stop and say, I don't know, Lord, if I could go that far. I I could read my Bible in my home, but living it in my workplace, oh, that's a different story. I don't think I can follow through with the society we live in to be noticed. And believe me, folks, if you live for Christ today, you're going to be noticed. It's walking contrary to society. What if this environment... You work in, or you live in, or you, you, you go to school in, is completely against your faith. Would you still be a seeker of God? Would diligently go in front of that action that you seek Him out? Psalm 112 verse 1, I saw this this morning, I thought, what a wonderful little verse. How blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in His commandments. Greatly delights in them. That's even more than just delights. <laughs> greatly delights. Take you back to Daniel for a minute. Daniel, Daniel Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. The day came when they had to take a stand. They had to stand before a king. It was one thing that they got the test through the official, and that worked. But it came to the day when three years was up, they had to step before the king, and there was that risk again. Was it right for them to have trusted the Lord all the way through when they stood before that king? What if they didn't pass the test? What if the king looked at them and said, no, you didn't make it. Gave them menial jobs or or maybe even put them in a prison. Or maybe even executed them for not following his rules for three years. Nebuchadnezzar was very good at those kind of things. It says in verse 17, As for these four youths, God gave them knowledge and intelligence and every kind of literature and expertise. Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. Then at the end of the days, which the king had specified for presenting them, the commander of the officials presented them before Nebuchadnezzar. He paraded them out in front of him. Would that have made you nervous? Oh, here's the big one. Here's the big test. The king talked with them. And out of them all, not one was found, like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's personal service. 
As for the matter of expertise and understanding about which the king consulted them, he found them ten times better than all those who were already employed by him, the wise men, the soothsayers, the priests, the conjurers, and all the rest in his realm. I asked you a simple question. Is it a risk to trust the Lord? We have read, at the end of this chapter, a very satisfactory ending, haven't we? We feel good when it works out the right way. And we come to this test, this big test. But you know what? It's not always the case. It doesn't always end this way. Your faith is being tested. And it will be. I can cite years and thousands of years of history of believers who stood firm in their faith and the end of their life was not something you would say, that's the way I want to go. A lot of them stood there at that moment to stand firm in their faith and the world in its wicked little ways took their lives. Is that the end? No, it's not. But our world looks at it like, well, so much for that faith. You know, to kill this body does not extinguish my faith. It doesn't extinguish my God either. I have a God who's greater than my life. He's the author of my life. He made it. I just trust Him. Just like David says, my times are in your hands. My times are in your hands. This is the kind of faith that we talk about because we live in a world that walks and talks contrary to our God. And folks, if that doesn't make you uncomfortable, you might need to check something. Like your commitment level to following the Lord. But if you're undergoing a challenge, and some of you I know would be, you're trying to live godly in your own world Take courage. Take courage. That's why God recorded passages like this. He didn't have to record this. But He chose to have it recorded for us. Because you're not the only one who is trying to trust the Lord in a difficult environment. And I would even guess that most of our environments aren't as severe as that one. But trusting the Lord is not only wise, it is right. It is the right thing to do. And so with confidence, we declare our faith, and we know it's worth it, don't we? We know it's worth it to trust the Lord. We don't look at it as a risk, do we? We don't think that living today as a Christian is, boy, I just hope it turns out okay. We have confidence. We have confidence. We can walk uncompromisingly in the place where God put us to. You may never have to be in Daniel's shoes. But Daniel was never in yours either. The place where you walk, the place where you live, the place where you take your faith is unique to you. And God designed it so. Walk with Him. Be confident in your faith. Don't hesitate to show it. Can it be scary? Oh, yes, it can be scary. In high school, I couldn't stand going to high school. I went to a a public school. Every single one of those graduates went to prison, I'm sure. (laughs) I'm very sure of that. When they have their 50th uh, anniversary, they're all going to be in orange. I'm pretty sure. That's the world I lived in. I hesitated to show that I was a Christian. I have to confess to you, I was scared to death of it. I think of a dozen ways how to pray before my meal. I was taught to pray before my meals. And lunchtime came, and I'm in the cafeteria with all these other people. And boy, do they look at you. And I hesitated. I didn't know what to... You know, the sneeze prayer works pretty good. As you're sneezing, you're praying. Things like that. I I tried all those neat tricks just because I didn't want to be noticed. I didn't want to be noticed. You've ever been there before? A little scared of what the world will think around you, what they would do if they knew you were a believer? 
I think we're living in a generation that that's getting more and more prominent. This book is going to teach us something. If nothing else, we have an example before us. Trust the Lord. Trust Him no matter what. Ask your official, can I do this? He might say no. He might say, let's put it to a test. Boy, then you start praying a lot. You want to pass the test, don't you? You want to show. What if you don't? You still going to trust your God? Still going to do it His way? What if Daniel was told, nope, you didn't pass. Now you get the meat. What would Daniel have done? I'm going to leave you with questions today. Because this is the faith that we're called to follow too. Heavenly Father, help us with this. Indeed, we live in a day and age where faith is going to be challenged if it hasn't been already. May we be found true to you. To the things that we have read in this book and we believe with all our heart and we seek to serve you completely. It's easy to do in this sanctuary. It's harder to do when we step out the door. It's somehow challenging to do it on a Monday or a Tuesday than it is on a Sunday. But this is where you've planted us. This is where we are. And we're called to live by faith because without faith it is impossible to please you. Lord, I would think that everyone in this room would say, but Lord, I want to please you. I want to please you. I want to search you out. I want to be numbered among those who diligently seek you out. And I pray, Lord, that all our hearts will be in tune to that and desire that and want that more and more. And that we would be willing to, in our own hearts, to say, this is what I determined to do. I will walk by my faith. I will show myself to be a follower of God. Our world desperately needs that example, Lord. Maybe we're the ones to show it. But in either case, Lord, wherever the need fits today, however it applies to our heart this morning, implant it deep. Give them encouragement. Give them courage. Give them boldness to step forward in their faith to say, I follow the Lord. I will not change. And I thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in our lives. We cannot do this without you, we know. So we depend upon you every step of the way. Thank you, Lord, for being so very patient with us. So very merciful. So caring. And yet you have given to us everything we need for life and for godliness. And we praise you for that, too. Encourage us with this today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.